friends. Welcome back. It's time for another episode. A movie episode. A science fiction movie episode. And that movie is Soldier. A classic. A classic. I was going to look up. Okay. You have your phone right there. It's not like the cat was laying on it. Pippin was laying on it. I was going to look up the year it was released because for some reason I just blanked. 1998. It was released in 1998. I remember 1998. (laughs) 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 I'm I'm glad for you. Um, I didn't see this in theaters. This is exactly the kind of movie dad would have taken us to see. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, The emotional journey of a hardened soldier. Yeah. Finding his heart and... A center of a community. Yep. Yeah. That, that's yeah. his kind of movie. It was, exactly. It, it was a very good mashup of the um, the hardened battle Rambo character, which he loved, mm-hmm. and Notting Hill, which he loved with equal amounts of <laughs> fervor. Probably more. Yeah. So it was a good, like, if you squish those two together... You took Rambo and Notting Hill and you would split and squish them together. I think you'd get Soldier. Part of, more of what squeezed out the edges is Rambo, but Notting Hill's heart is in there. If you get where I'm going with this. Right. They were trying to make a an emotional journey that from a marketing branding perspective would be palatable to Rambo fans. Yeah, it only has 15% on Rotten Tomatoes. Is that the fan score or the, like, critic score? The audience score is 44%. Okay. The tomato meter, which is the critic one, is 15%. Well, I've noticed a trend of uh, movies that we tend to like. we tend to like. You know what we like about this movie? Have a really low rating. Yeah, you know what we liked about this movie, and you mentioned it several times when we were watching it, is this movie is extremely linear. It's extremely... It's internally consistent. Yeah. It's a coherent story. Right. They don't... You know, the characters all act like their characters. Yeah. They don't force the characters to do things for the sake of achieving some plot beat. Right. That's just externally forced onto the situation. Yeah, we're not trying for a complex story. We're not trying for uh, world-changing commentary. We're talking, we're just telling a story. It reminds me of Real Steel. And I like Real right. Steel for the same reason, which is it's about a dad learning how to be a dad to his son with the backdrop of robot boxing. Right. This is about a guy... Learning how to be... A traumatized guy. Yeah, learning how to be a person in a community with the backdrop of a futuristic sci-fi trash planet. There you go. Yeah, I mean, that's essentially what this movie is about, is we start out in a nursery. And so these soldiers are taken and trained from birth. They're selected at birth and screened through... Years of grueling training yeah, and, and testing. We don't meet out this exposition. We dump it all at the very beginning. We start with the baby. 
we go to them being forced to watch as um, dogs kill a wild boar, which when I first, I, I honestly didn't remember this scene. And when they first brought the cage out with the dog in it, I was like, oh my God, are we about to watch a dog get killed? Is that what's about to happen? Oh my God. And I don't know why, but with the backdrop of that, I felt relieved knowing they were just going to kill a pig. I was like, oh, phew. Thank God. They're just going to kill this pig. <laughs> I was like, if I have to watch somebody walk in there and shoot puppies just to desensitize these children, I don't know if I can make it through this movie. Although, what what about when they shoot the slow kid in the group? Yeah, well, that's later. That's uh, So, yes. And then we get to they're a little bit older and they're in school. And then we get older and they're doing physical training. And all of it in the background is like a voice that's like the soldier's is happiest when he's obeying orders. War is a soldier's friend. Yeah, war is a soldier's friend. Just like indoctrination. Propaganda. Yeah, propaganda. And we get all the way up to them getting their name, their blood type and their soldier number designation tattooed on their cheek. Yeah. And we even get to see when they're running, there's a slow kid and they just drive up, pull in front of this kid and shoot him. And we, we hear the gunshot from a distance Yeah, while watching Todd lead the pack. You'd think, you'd think if you had invested that much into this child already, I mean, somebody's got to be at the back carrying supplies. Somebody's got to stay at the base and organize the medical kits. Yeah. And stay on the con. Right. Why wouldn't you just cut this kid off and drop him in, like, logistics? Right. Yeah, you are the... Right, probably the, the worst performing member of this group would... Pr- you drop him in a group of like regular soldiers yeah or even just militaries like civilian military support they're going to be the leader right in that group right yeah but you know it's not that kind of movie that's and not the kind of message not the kind that, of movie the the ambiance that we're trying to build right. here yeah we even go all the way up to they're firing at targets and they're shooting obvious military targets and then one of a military target goes behind a woman holding a baby and our main character Todd. Yeah, and holds holds her as a human shield. Yeah. And he hesitates for about two seconds and then blasts right through her. Yeah. To get to, get to the target behind her. Yep. And you're like, oh, okay. So that's the kind of military training we're going for. Which you know what this movie didn't have? Text at the beginning or a voiceover. Right. There was no expository voiceover nope. we don't get any additional information about there was the a voiceover but it was all. part of the story right we, the propaganda we don't know why we need this kind of hardened military force we don't we don't we know the year at the very beginning but we don't get another year code until later we get like and todd doesn't explain anything either yeah because todd doesn't have any fucking lines <laughs> even though he's in 85 percent of the movie <laughs> Yeah, uh, he literally, literally, Kurt Russell is in 85% of this movie and speaks fewer than 100 words. He had to do... And he pulls it off. All of his acting was just... And he couldn't make any real facial expressions. Right. It was eyes only. 
He had to convey absolutely everything with just his eyes. And I think he does a pretty good job. I was impressed. Yeah, we watched this movie twice. Um, because Matt missed the beginning the first time around. So we went back and watched uh, yeah, it. Yeah, I missed like the first ten minutes. Yeah. But and this this is a very rewatchable movie. And I feel like every time you watch it, you get more nuance from what he's trying to convey. But before we go too far. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I am Rachel. And I'm Matt. Welcome to the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. catch me because i get excited and then i just go so this movie is a sidequel not a sequel but a like movie Same, adjacent. it's an extended universe yeah blade supposedly of blade runner and i guess it's based the on same, a, the same guy who wrote the screenplay for blade runner wrote the screenplay for this uh, that's what you told me yeah you lie to me i didn't lie to you but i just want to check that real quick Yes, Soldier was written by David Peoples, who co-wrote the script for the 1982 film Blade Runner. And he considers this to be like a spinoff or a side pull or like a spiritual successor. And it's based off a deleted scene from the Blade Runner movie where they would have had some replicants abandoned on a trash planet. Mm. And so they expanded on that and made it into the Soldier movie. And so Todd is human. He's not um, a replicant, but it's implied that the soldiers that are to replace Todd and his crew are replicants. Right. They, they specifically say that they're genetically engineered. Yeah. To be better soldiers. Right. <laughs> better physically. Right. Yeah. Because it's really hard to replace. By the time we pick up with Todd, he's like 42. So he's been... He has 40 years of training and like probably 25 years of actual military experience. Yeah, and this movie has Jason Isaacs in it. Jason Isaacs is kind of our um, bad guy, I guess. One of the bad guys. He's our most overt bad guy. Yeah. With an American accent, which you almost never see him with. And it's so weird. Every time and he opens his mouth, I'm like, huh. The other very... Uh, I'm trying to find the word. Unlikely. Um, jarring. Jarring. Yeah. The Probably the most jarring part about this movie is searing, seeing Gary Busey <laughs> in a role where he's just not pulling like a crazy where face he's not Gary all Busey. the time. Yeah, where he's right. not Gary Busey. Gary Busey around 2000 early 2000s must have had some kind of traumatic experience because he just goes wild at, 
at some point and everything yeah. that he's in he just has this like crazy wild-eyed look it could have been jumping the shark and he just screams like all of his lines but here he's actually like the rational military leader which is not a role that you know even five years later he would be cast in yeah Sean Pertwee is also in this, and he was mm-hmm. in Equilibrium. He yep. was father in Equil- Equilibrium. And dyeing his hair blonde was such a questionable choice. Right. And um, and Connie Nielsen. Yeah. They dyed her hair, too. It's like, why did you like make these people blonde? Right. When they have... She's okay. I mean, she's... Right. It's fine. But Sean isn't blonde. And, I mean, no other part of him is blonde. And it looks like Sun In. Do you remember Sun In? You told me about it. Uh, yeah. I have never had any direct It was experience. a thing in the 90s that you could buy that you put in your hair and it facilitated photo bleaching. So it was like you could get beach hair. I have naturally photo bleaching hair, so... I I never needed it. Right. Well, it turned your hair orange. Okay. My well, hair is already orange. <laughs> <laughs> it turned your Go hair ahead. orange in a your hair isn't supposed to be orange kind oh, of Oh, that way. that yes. shade of orange. Yeah. Gotcha. The uh ugh, what is that? And that's what it looks like. But it it generally didn't get your roots because it was literally just a spray you spritzed on your hair. And so you would get these like orange tips. Which in the 90s was actually kind of in. Yeah, frosted tips. But yeah, he looks like someone did a bad sun in job and then left his eyes dark, like left his eyelashes dark. And so he ends up looking like he's wearing guy liner, which I have no problem with guy liner. I'm a fan of guy liner. But it's every time you see him, you're like, it stands out. Is he wearing eyeliner? No, he's not wearing eyeliner. But is he wearing eyeliner? No, he's not wearing eyeliner. And they have to reprocess the lack of eyeliner every time you see him. And well, then he do. speaks. Yeah. Yeah. And then he speaks and you're expecting a British accent. And it's not. But he still has his... He has a very odd voice. Right, he has a pretty distinct accent. Yeah, he has a distinct voice, and I'm yeah. expecting that voice to have a British accent, and it doesn't. But I think overall, everybody does a pretty good job in this movie. Yeah, I mean, there's not a ton of characters. We have Todd, and then we have Car- Gary Busey's character, and then there's two other... Uh, church. Yeah, and then we have two other people who are kind of the grunts, a woman and a man, and... Really, the woman's only purpose is so she can look at the new soldiers and go, well, they're pretty. Uh, okay. <laughs> That's pretty much it. I mean, these two characters could have been combined yeah. easily. But that's okay. And then we have um, Colonel Meekum, who was Jason Isaac's character. And he's the one who is, um, you know, declaring that the older soldiers are now obsolete. Because we have the new, improved, specially designed, built and grown specifically for this purpose. They're bigger, more muscly, stronger, faster. They're harder, better, faster, stronger. That's their yeah. That's their selling line, right? Because uh, they show up, and I love how Gary Busey is immediately like, "Well, let's put him to the test." Because poor Todd, he just went through like eight wars, right? 
we go through, you know, we, we culminate the opening scene with seeing Todd in all of these different wars. Right. And, Montage. Th- and then the, the caption at the bottom just reads between wars. Like there's going to be another one. It just hasn't started yet. Right. And we just ended the last one. So they're all sitting on the bunk on their bunks, which is one of my favorite scenes because you think it's just Todd. And then it turns slightly and you realize that everyone is sitting in the same exact position in the same exact posture on their bunks. And so it makes them all look completely lined up. Because even though they're not machines, they've been trained to be like Like machines. machines. And so they get them all up. They line them in the hangar and they're like, "Okay, here's the old ones. Here's the new ones. Let's let's have them duke it out. Yeah, let's let's get let's, some comparison. Yeah, let's see what happens. And so they do a race. In this very artificial setting. Right. So they do a race. They do a 15-mile race, which this is our first moment where we see Kurt Russell start to do the um, the eye acting because he's looking at the other guys like, the fuck is this shit? But it's literally just like, just, <laughs> just eye The lasers. same just, just the same facial yeah, expression. Just, and, and then they gave him that scar over one eye that makes his one eye look droopy. Yeah. And it ends up making him look like puppy dog, like a basset hound. Like, cause his eyes look a little bit like <laughs> sad. And so he looks sad and pissed off. Um, but without actually moving anything, which is amazing. And so he does this thing. He runs for 15 miles. That's how far they have him run. So the other guy starts out 20 minutes behind. Kane starts out 20 minutes behind, but he ends up catching up with Todd. Right. Okay. So for context, he says 15 miles, you have 60 minutes. That's four minute miles for 15 miles. Yeah. And I think the world record for running the mile, running one mile is like three minutes, 50 something seconds. Something, yeah. of, something like just that. Just one mile, though. And so this guy is so like physically enhanced that he can run near world record uh, mile times for 15 miles consecutively and then still be strong at the end. Yep. And Kane is played by... I don't recognize the actor. You don't? I recognized him, but I couldn't tell you what he was from. By Jason Scott Lee. I guess he played in Mulan, the new Mulan. He also played in the oh. live action. Um, he was Mowgli in the live action Jungle Book, the one from the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> the old live action Jungle the Book. The old live action one. Gotcha. Oh, he was in Back to the Future Part 2. Hmm. As he a was kid? in Dragon, the Bruce Lee story as Bruce Lee in 1993. Oh, wow. Okay. And he's so Mowgli in the Jungle Book. So by the time he gets to this, he's been in a fair amount of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He's in Soldier. He's a voice in Lilo and Stitch. Yeah. He's one of those actors that's been in a bunch. And every time I see him, I'm like, oh, that guy. But then I have to look him up to remember what he's been in. Gotcha. But he's Kane. And so Kane ends up catching up with him, obviously, because he's the best. And so he beats him back. And then Todd shows up and they're both just standing there. And he's like, okay, but like, are they tired? You know, what's the cost? Like, you know, Todd has been trained. He ran the pace that he's been trained to run. Right. He could have run it faster, but your guy probably just wore himself out. 
Yeah. And so he has Todd climb this chain. And Todd Which, climbs the chain. When? When? Are, okay. Okay. Uh, I'm ready. I'm ready. This is, this is probably a, a theme that's common in the military. And you see it all like in software development when you're taking metrics on performance for people, whatever. Uh, the metrics that you use to measure people's performance in a lot of different places doesn't actually line up with what they need to be able to do well to do the job. Right. It's like the interviewing process and you do like coding problems. You, you never actually write algorithms on the fly for a job, like for day-to-day -day work unless you're doing really low level stuff, people have invested hundreds of hours into writing libraries of code to be reused. So I don't need to develop some cryptography algorithm. I use the crypt, the like vetted cryptography library. Yeah. But they test you on algorithms in interviews because it's something that's easy to measure. Yeah. Even if it's inaccurate. Climbing chains and <laughs> doing melee combat on chains is something that's easy to measure the success outcome because you can see people fall if they yeah if they're not doing well. But that doesn't accurately reproduce the conditions that a soldier would be fighting in. Right. Which is so why Todd does not end up victorious. Metric. Yeah, which right. is why Todd doesn't end up the winner in this situation. Todd isn't good at the actual soldier stuff. Yeah. But in this particular series of scenes, they're not actually measuring soldier activities. Right. Like when they have them shoot the orb and it's counting up for the accuracy. Like the numbers are scrolling up and they're like 99% accurate. It should just start at 100 and drop. It shouldn't count up. I don't know. I just feel like that's not the way the accuracy measurement should work. But it, anyway, the point of this is. Well, uh, okay. So I think having this as a, um, like a, a plot device in the movie is not contrived. Okay. It's a commentary on just the state of the reality that we live in that, in these kind of bureaucracy-heavy environments, you end up measuring the wrong things. It's like a bunch of old dudes on a school board who have never even been in a classroom teaching children, making decisions about what happens in the classroom. Or a bunch of old white dudes deciding about women's health care. Exactly. They have no real-life experience the only one who does it all is gary Busey's character right and even he is so far removed from it that he's like well okay this was a good test that's fine they beat my guys they beat my guys on this totally contrived combat situation right, that is not reflective of actual combat right because todd climbs the chain and then of course kane climbs the chain without even having to touch it with his feet 
just badasses his way up there. Two hands and a dick. That's how he gets to the top. And so <laughs> it's prehensile, you, you know. You think that's genetically enhanced? Uh, why, why wouldn't it be? In the case of Todd, when he meets Sandra, uh, Connie Nielsen's character. I love how you knew her name. I don't even know how you knew her actress name. I'm very impressed. I really like Gladiator. Okay. Oh, that's right. That's what she's in. Okay, Sandra, yes. Uh, I really like Gladiator, okay? (laughs) He meets Sandra, and it's obvious he's never seen a woman up close before. Yeah. Like in a non-combat situation. So, like, I was thinking, have they been giving the soldiers, like, drugs or something to suppress sex drive? Or... No, they leave them frustrated. That's how they get to fight everything. <laughs> Why do you think he's willing to shoot literally anything? It's just like, I'm so, fu- <laughs> so fucking frustrated. Yeah, I don't know. You'd think actually they would engineer it the opposite so that because that becomes a weak point. In fact, at one point, Kane hits one of the other soldiers in the nuts. He reaches back and slaps him between the legs when they're on the rope. Oh, yeah. Yep, effective combat technique. Yeah, I mean, it worked. It worked. Um, Todd does manage to get up behind Kane, and I guess the scene where he scratches his eye was Mm -hmm. one of the ones that got them the NC-17 rating, so they had to tone it down. Oh. So initially, he did... it was more gory? It was more gory. Because this movie hadn't... When they first screened it, they were like, NC-17. And they were like, well, shit. And so they had to scale back the gore. To get the uh, the rating it got. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. It's very... There's very few graphic scenes in this movie, which I like. There's, yeah. There's just people acting through the whole tone of the movie. Right. And then every once in a while you get a just visual... Yeah. It makes it more impactful at the end when we get to the like slaughterhouse at the end yes when todd is just like he's taking out all of his pent-up sexual frustration on all of these <laughs> evil, these evil soldiers decades of sexual frustration yeah but todd gets uh he does end up getting knocked off the rope and he lands on another soldier and we kind of do the pan up the 90s pan up to let you know they were dying that's how you yeah, knew that's their it's a point of view of their spirit leaving the body. Yeah, if you were ever in the 90s and there was a camera on your face and it started just slowly backing away, sorry, dude, you dead. That's that's how you knew. And so they, they're they like, well, we don't want to do any paperwork. Let's write this up as a training accident and we'll just... Um, Quietly just, dispose, we'll, we'll of, dispose the bodies. of the bodies and no one needs to know. So they put him in a trash like disposal thing. Does that have atmosphere in it? Well, apparently it does. Apparently it does. But does it make sense that it does? No. Not really. Not really. Um, but that's okay. It, it's enough that he's able to get to where he's going. Let's put it that way. Right. Maybe there was enough atmosphere since he was the only thing breathing in there. You know, he was able to. Maybe it's right. air. There, there may not be, be any like environmental systems running in yeah. those storage rooms. But since he's the only living thing in there. Yeah. Yeah. Like an elevator. I saw uh, someone ran the numbers and um, like in a, a single 
human in an elevator, an airtight elevator, has like 14 hours of air. Right. Yeah. So he, we'll just go with that. And there's enough heat to keep the electronics working. So uh-huh. that's enough. He's a soldier. He can handle it. And I guess there are quite a few Easter eggs in the trash. There's a Blade right. Runner spinner. There's parts of like, if you look at the numbers on some of the ship parts, they're like from from famous naval vessels or whatever. But this oh, okay. feels like that scene in episode one where if you paused it, you could find the Millennium Falcon flying. Yes. Um, I didn't do that. If you feel so compelled to go back and watch this scene, um, there's supposedly Easter eggs in here. I did see like a um, NASA landing capsule. That's about as much as I. It's fine. There's a lot going on here. He ends up getting dumped. Somehow he survives the fall. Right. From like 200, 300 feet up. You know what I was thinking? Probably the script was like, he's just now on the ground. Like, don't answer that question. Yeah. Just. It's fine. Don't worry it's about fine. it. Don't, don't, don't. If you worry about it too much, don't. Just suspend your disbelief. It's fine. He's got to uh, get on the This planet has lower gravity. Yeah. Hey. Done. There you go. Done. He uh, tumbled gently downward onto this pile of sharp trash, and he's fine. That's fine. And he immediately looks down, and there's some people walking. And he's like, hmm, I should probably follow them. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't never say anything. He doesn't say anything. He just stares at them intensely. And then he ends up, they have like a whole rope system that they've set up. Right, because there's a strong wind advisory. Yeah, all the time. All the time. There's like a, it's uh, cyclical. Yeah. It must be like a wind that just, it's like a constant. Right, like there's very little terrain on the planet. Yeah. Like the the giant wave and... That's exactly what I was going to say. Planet. I was like, yeah, just like the giant wave on the interstellar water planet where it goes around. Someday we'll do interstellar. Someday we'll do interstellar, but that's not today. So he ends up, you know, this is another one of his like, oh, look how much pain he can endure because he ends up grabbing an old parking meter and it makes his hand bleed. He like puts his hand through the right. glass. Right, and he has like cracked ribs or something. Yeah, because he fell off this chain. And he and... still holds himself against the wind. Right, because he's that badass. Which Kurt Russell worked out for 18 months. He delayed get... production of the movie for 18 months. Yeah. Because he wanted to get swole <laughs> naturally. <laughs> naturally. Uh, and he did. It's yeah. It it worked for it's him. It's effective. Yes. Highly effective. It was I a very effective. Approve of this physique. Yes. Uh, and so he ends up meeting up with the people on the planet. I guess you could say that he sneaks into. He sneaks into he like sneaks the in, middle. But then the wind blows him off of the ledge, and he falls. Yeah. And lands hard. Well, he's and on. Out. Wait, so he's on the steps because he gets into their underground village. And he's on the steps looking over at people and the wind blows and it blows him off the steps. And then he lands on the steps and rolls down to the bottom of the steps. So he's on the steps and then he falls onto the steps that he was on and then he rolls down to the bottom. Uh, And then we see like that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Literally. But he does like a and he like barfs up blood on the ground. 
Did you see that? Because he's got cracked ribs. Yeah, that was a poking lot in his lungs. That was a very like because he doesn't even cry out at any at any point. Like, right. It's not that he doesn't have lines. He doesn't vocalize at all. Not even when he's like falling down the stairs. And then we see Boots coming down the stairs and he looks up and it's children, his arch nemesis. And he's like, <laughs> oh God. And he just passes out spontaneously. From from the trauma of seeing children right. looming over him. I, I'm supposed to be the one looming over children. I also feel this way What's in the this morning. Shit? I also feel this way in the morning sometimes <laughs> when they come in and wake us up. I'm like, no, oh God. Um and then we see a meeting of the people, the people in this village. And this gives us context about the role of soldiers in this world. Because they are not surprised by him. They are frightened of him. Right. He's yeah. a war machine. He is a war machine. He is not really a person to them. He is a thing that has been made and that they're not sure if they can trust. Right. He's a soldier with a capital S. Right. And at no point is anyone like, he's a person. He's a traumatized person who needs our help. They're just like, well. There is zero um, awareness of PTSD, sensory sensitivity, like emotional processing issues. Right. It's exactly nothing. exactly the conversation you would have imagined oh, wait, in the 90s. Oh, wait. It's kind of like, yeah, it's kind of like the U.S. in the 90s. Yeah. Oh, wait. Uh, it's them, us now. I don't know. It's it's one of those things where if we'd had that conversation, this is a different movie. Maybe nobody in the group has any experience with that. That's possible. And old soldiers don't get retired in this world. So it's not like he would have gone off to a retirement facility where he would have been treated where there was an understanding of what they, they were doing to these people. They would have just kept sending him out until he died. Until he died. Yeah. So it's not really a conversation anybody needed to have. And really at no point is anyone like, no, he's a person and we need to save him. They're just like, well, he's a soldier, but he's maybe, dangerous. maybe he can live here as long as he isn't like, I guess, hurt anybody or whatever. Um, I don't know. These dudes are Mace and his wife, Shanna, Chandra, Sandra, Sandra already have him and they're nursing him back to health already. So whatever. And so he lives with them for a while, I guess. And she, with our first glimpse at their interaction is she's pouring him medicine into this spoon. Right. Which, what kind of medicine would this be? The only thing they get is what comes from the trash and what they had with them. It looks like straight liquor. It could just be straight liquor. Right. Yeah. So she's going to give it to him and she looks down and he's Dull looking the pain, up at her. Knock him out. Yeah. Well, he's looking up at her, and they just have this moment of like, uh, here, um, take the medicine, and he just takes the medicine, because whatever. He's a soldier. He's a soldier, although you'd think he would have to like establish rank. Like, he wouldn't just do what a civilian told him to do. The, like, soldier ranks and, like, medic ranks are different. Right, but she's not a medic. She doesn't... Well, but... From his perspective, oh, here's like a person taking care of my medical issues. That's their job. Yeah. I don't specialize in that. Well, this was on my second viewing. I got to thinking that this could be like he's reeling from what happened. Right. And he's confused in the face of a woman. <laughs> There's also tits, 
but it's more like he expected to live and die as a soldier. Right. And instead he was replaced and he was never supposed to be replaced. Right. So it's very disorienting. So it's like one day you showed up at work and they brought in a machine that knew how to code better than you did. And you had a code off. Which when is you, not chat GPT. Which is not chat GPT. <laughs> and you guys had a code off. And then when you lost, they just put you in a garbage truck and took you to the dump. The philosophical term is domicide, where your home has been destroyed. Yeah. Your sense of home. Your sense of self and home. Yeah. Everything that he was comfortable in. Everything you've been attached to. Yeah. For grounding your world experience is gone. Is gone. And now you are on a trash planet with a group of people that crash landed here. And no one ever. No one ever came to rescue them. So they've made a life here. And now you are faced with the challenge of making a life with these people the very same sort of people that you were taught were expendable and whom you've never actually interacted with. And now you realize that they were not expendable, but you were. So this is a very... Knife twist. Hard moment for Todd. Not only was he replaced, but every foundation of his worldview was a lie. Yeah. I almost think the mechanical, like us supposed to see him as a machine thing would have worked better if we hadn't given him a name. If he had if he simply had been, been his number. number and yeah. they named him like Todd or something. Because even every time Gary Busey's character calls him Todd, it's like what he's like todd's our best man um okay you personified him too much there yeah no i don't think they would have named them i think they would that's, have just given them point. numbers that's a good point yeah and then i think kane would be like zero 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 one like we started over at the beginning because we don't need any of the old ones anymore right or you or you do like the c41n yeah right Leet speak. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would have been, I think that would have been more. Like Finn in um, Star Wars, the new Star Wars movie. Yeah. The, the Todd bothers me. I mean, it doesn't bother me enough that I don't like the movie, but the Todd feels too much like they were. This wrecking. movie is very well executed. So the things that we find to pick on are very nitpicky. Right. If you want me to dehumanize this character, don't name him. Is what I'm saying. Give him a number, right. a it, designation. It makes it, if he only has a number, it's easier for the viewer to view him as less than human. Right. And I think it makes the switch from soldier to Todd more, a, a clean, yeah, a cleaner yeah. line instead of, we really never see a transition point where he starts to, I mean, we kind of do, but it's not a very big shift outwardly for his way he interacts with the world because we don't get any more conversation from him really <laughs> we just get him actually answering questions and occasionally not saying sir at the end of them really because once he comes back and he's getting better uh he starts going out and about and like 
experiencing life with these people. And we find out about these snakes that populate the planet, which, wow, you live on a planet full of trash and snakes. That's That's rough. That's some bullshit right there. (laughs) (laughs) You'd think if it was a planet devoid of life, full of dumped human trash, you'd at least not have the critters. Right. I mean, it was a habitable planet. It's got a habitable atmosphere. And we chose to just dump trash on it. Were the snakes already on here? Was it literally just a desert planet filled with nasty wind and snakes? Maybe the snakes came in the trash? Maybe the snakes came in the trash. We don't know. It's not... I wouldn't... That's not... It's not that movie. It's not that movie. (laughs) It's not that movie. Um, And there's really only like one or two snakes that they used for all the filming. Right. And they stitched their mouth closed. Because they were highly venomous. Yeah, because they're super venomous. And it's only really relevant to mention the snakes because that's what ends up getting kicked out. Because he has like... That's what gets him kicked out, but it's also... What gets him What redeems him. Yep. And as we go through him learning to live with these people, we start to see him experiencing like PTSD flashbacks where he's seeing himself killing these same kinds of people. So he's literally... This is the first time he's experiencing like stimulating environments outside of the military context. Right. And his only context has been the military experience, the, the war experience. So his associations are not stable for yeah. living inside a community. So there's lots of noisy things happening, lots of fast movement. The only thing his experience has to associate that with is war. War. Yeah. War. And also, so it's very disorienting and very jarring for him. Right. Also, he has killed these same kinds of people in the past. And at the time when he did it, they weren't human. They were just the enemy. Right. They, and, they were an expendable um, hurdle. Yeah, and now they are becoming human to him, and he is realizing how inhuman he was. And he has to convey all of this with just intense stares. And he does. And he does. He really does. Yeah, Kurt Russell really shows his range. By having no range. It's wild, because he's not doing anything. Most of the time, he's just sitting and staring at you, or staring at a character, which poor Sandra gets stared at the most and the first time I watched it it felt a little creepy I was like this look not creepy in that he was intentionally being creepy but just in like a he was realizing his attraction to her in a sexual way and this next time I watched it it felt more like he was realizing that this was something he never had and couldn't really have right and I, I like that they didn't, like, force that on him. Like, they didn't, they didn't try to, like, move him, uh, like, div- change his character so much, or, I don't know, force it to the point where his character would be capable of having 
like an interactive reciprocal relationship yeah. with a woman to the point that they could like have sex. Yeah. Right. That's even at the very end of the movie, a sexual like relationship. Yeah. Maybe a like sexual event. Yeah. Event. As, <laughs> right. Right. Just yeah. like one instance of no, it like, wouldn't have physical worked. sex separate from any like romantic intimacy. Uh, that that may have worked like as a very clinical thing just to show like he's he's experiencing more of what it is to be human or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Right. That's the only situation I can think of where that might have worked. But I like that they didn't push it so that even at the end of the movie, you know, he's been with these people for a while. He's now like a core member of the group. They are. I mentioned this to Rachel while we were watching it. Uh, it feels a lot like in the Murderbot books. Hmm where Murderbot refuses to acknowledge uh, like to itself that I care about these people. Right. It's, they're my crew. <laughs> and if anybody hurts them, I will hunt that thing down and tear them to shreds. Yeah. Because they're my crew. Yeah, they're my crew. They're my clients. They're not my friends. But right. I don't care about them. They're not my them. friends. They're my crew. But if anything ever hurt them, I would make it eat its own entrails. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so we get a lot of very similar vibes from Todd. Yeah. So that even at the end, like he has this really strong attachment to these people now, but he doesn't, it's more like he has an attachment to the group. Yeah. Like now he has a purpose again. There's a thing that he's very good at keeping these people alive. Yeah. And that's like the story that he's telling himself now is right. this is my reason for being here. But he doesn't really have any strong attachments to individual peoples in like an interactive relationship manner. Yeah. In like an emotional intimacy sense. Yeah. yeah. So then even at the end, there's, n it's completely off the table that he would have an emotional, um, romantic, intimate relationship with anybody. I think he, it's more like he is experiencing a sort of emotional intimacy, but I think the physical intimacy would be off the table. Cause the one time she actually touches him, Right, he like the one freaks time, out. Yeah, he starts shaking. Yeah. Cause, and he won't let her look at his hand. Because he cuts himself while he's helping her prepare dinner, which is really cute. Because he's distracted watching her play with her son. Right. And she goes to touch him to bind his wound, and he he can hardly let her do that. But Kurt Russell can't really back away because... Right after filming started, after his 18 months of grueling 
physical training, he broke his ankle. <laughs> yeah, he broke his ankle like the first day on the set. <laughs> <laughs> so they he had tripped to... over a cabbage because they have a, a cabbage. Yeah, they have a garden. <laughs> and so the rumor on the streets was he hurt himself in like a doing a stunt or whatever. And he was like, "No, nah, I I tripped over a cabbage. Like he tripped over a, a fake cabbage that they had." And uh, broke his ankle. So they had to do all of his laying down scenes right. first. They had to reorder all yeah. the filming, ske- the entire filming schedule. Yeah. And then all of his where he's sitting and then all of where he's standing still. And then they did all of his movement scenes last. So that running scene at the very beginning is one of the last ones filmed. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's good. And the part right after he cuts himself and she goes to bind his finger and she asks him, like, what do you, what's going on in there? What's 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 moving around up in that that stoic mug of yours? <laughs> and uh, you get the sense that he wants to say something, but he's struggling to say it. And then he just like he comes out with it. Like, I'm just going to say it. Right. Cause she's turning away. Yeah. Cause she's given up on receiving an answer. Right. And he's like, I got to throw something out. Yeah. He's like, um, fear, fear and discipline. She's like all the time. And he's like, yeah, all the time. That's all I think about and all I feel. Yep. That's it. And you're like, oh, okay. That's an insight into your character. Thank you so much for that. And then after that, we get our next kind of, um, impactful scene, I guess. This is our next pivot scene for the movie. And it's where he's um, he's beating up a muffler, which is really a very cleverly disguised punching bag. Right. It's um, uh, looking at the way, like the the looking at the way that it is. <laughs> you can tell. By you the can way tell it by is. the way that it is. Yeah. Um, it's like they made a mold out of a muffler, a banged up muffler. Yeah. And then took the muffler out of the mold and then filled it with expanding foam. Yeah. It looks just like the edges of the expanding foam, like where you have the bags of expanding foam that you like stick in the box with the thing and then close the box and it just expands around the thing. You know what I'm talking about? Nope. <laughs> but that's okay. Never mind. Foam. Um, Foamy yeah, foam. You, you just spray expanding foam into a space and then yeah, close it no, up. It's good. Foam. And foam sums it fills it up. the gaps. And then they like spray painted it silver. Yeah, it's great. He's banging away on it and he's remembering things. He's yep. he's having he's a traumatic processing his emotional yeah, trauma he in is, a yes. an environment, a context that he feels physically safe. Right. Well, he's processing his trauma. He's feeling it and he's probably experiencing an episode like a flashback. Yeah. And instead of harming anyone else, he's beating the shit out of this muffler. And someone comes up to him, a fellow that he had saved before, Jimmy Pig, who's played by Michael Chilkis. Chill Chicklis? Which I heard him called Pig and I noticed that his his mask when he's out in the the wind advisory um, has like a pig snout shape over his nose. Yeah. yeah, he's Jimmy Pig. He played the thing in that horrible, and we say horrible very lightly here because I liked that movie, uh, The Incredible Four, Incredible. 
Oh, 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 okay. The thing in the Fantastic yeah, Four. Literally the thing. The Fantastic I was like, Incredible Four does not sound correct. Fantastic <laughs> Four. The one with Yo and Gruffled, that one. I, I thought <laughs> <laughs> You like the thing in the thing. <laughs> I know what you thought. Okay. When you said he played that thing, the movie that came to mind was uh it was the one with was it Jeff Bridges? Um, it's like the post-apocalyptic noir detective guy. R.I.P.D.? No. Oh. But there's like this demon rat thing. What? <laughs> what? What are you talking about? What movie is this? Okay, hold on. <laughs> I don't think we finished it. Okay. Um, I need to look up. Okay, I found it. I'm so Split ready. Split second. Rucker Hauer as a noir detective. Oh, you said Jeff Bridges. I thought I oh, would, yeah. oh my god. I got that mixed up. Okay, yes. Split second. <laughs> okay. Oh now I'm I'm trying to circle back. Um oh that thing. <laughs> He said, oh, yeah, he played that thing. And I was like, oh, what What movies have I watched with Rachel where there's this an unknown thing yeah. played by somebody? Who knows? No, literally uh, the thing. The thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. For a second, I thought you were Segway talking about over. <laughs> Dylan Dog. Do you remember the movie Dylan Dog with Brandon Routh? Dylan Dog? Yes. He's like a noir detective, a supernatural detective. Brandon Routh is a yeah. noir de- yes. supernatural yes. detective. Yes. I had forgotten that movie existed, which is a feat. Okay. And then I saw somebody post a picture from it and I was like, oh my God, you know the the part in a movie when the wind suddenly blows on somebody's face and you know they've just had like an amazing revelation? Yes. That that happened to me. And I was like, oh, my God, we need to do that movie because I don't think Matt's watched it. And Dylan Dog, Dead of Night. Night. Yes. A world-famous private detective specializes in the affairs of the walking dead. Yeah. The adventures of supernatural private investigator Dylan Dog, who seeks out the monsters of the Louisiana Bayou in his signature red shirt, black jacket, and blue jeans. Oh, we got Sam Huntington from Being Human. Yep. Ooh. Peter Stormare. Star I thought it was Starmore. Anyway. Um okay, so good cast. It has. Are you ready for its rotten tomatoes score? Uh seven. Five. <laughs> <laughs> So obviously okay. we need so to watch it. So we need to watch it, this movie. Clearly, but it, whoop, 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 whoop. Let's go back to Soldier for a minute. So he's beating the shit out of it. And the thing shows up behind him. And by the thing, I mean Jimmy Pig. To give him this scarf to thank him for saving his life. And if Thank you for saving me from that wind-powered combine. Yeah. Which was being powered by wind at the time. Anyway. 
when like five dudes couldn't pull the rope back, but he was just like, oh, I'll help. And he just pulled the rope by himself. That part. He, he's strong. He's like real, real small. This planet has lower gravity, remember? <laughs> That's They've very true. They've been on this lower gravity planet for 12 years yep. and he just arrived. It's basically John Carpenter. That when makes he goes, so much sense. When he goes to Mars and he can just leap around yep. and shit. Yeah, just like that. It's exactly what it is. And if you pay attention to his like PTSD flashback that he's having, um, Jimmy Pig is the character that comes at him out the door. Cause he's, oh, it is? Yeah, he's uh. fitting a clip back into his gun to shoot this little girl. And Jimmy Pig comes from the door and goes to grab him. And he turns around and starts choking him. And then we immediately flash back to real life. And he is choking the real guy. Okay. My my take on that, I don't think he was getting ready to shoot that little girl. I think he was just reloading and she was there and he was getting ready to move on to the next thing. I think it's implied he was getting ready to shoot her. Like he missed her and he ran out and he was reloading to... I'll, I'll agree to disagree. Agree to disagree on this. And we can move on. Because he keeps coming back to it. So it must be a traumatic event. Well, that was probably the first woman that he ever saw that he didn't shoot. That's possible. It's possible. But I think we're supposed to, we're supposed to think that he did it. Um, But you think what you want to think, it's fine. But he's choking Jimmy. He's choking Jimmy. And he ends up snapping out of it in time for him to not die. Either by choking or getting his head crushed. Either one. He just saves him two ways around. And after that, they're like, shit, we need a meeting. So they have a meeting. He's too dangerous. And they're like, we like him as a person, but he has some problems. He's not really a person. Um, They don't say that. Well, I know. Yeah, they're like. They don't "Mm." say the quiet part out loud. They don't say the quiet part out loud. And this is what I started to think. You know what? This is (laughs) proto-murderbot. Because they're like, he's gone rogue. He can't be trusted. You know you can't trust those things. Those things. Those things. We need to... He can stay on the planet. Obviously, we can't do anything about that. He can that. stay close by. Like, we'll we'll kind of take care of him. We just... We can't trust him around. Around anybody the at churns. all. So let's give him a coat and a canteen and just a good knife and send him on his way. And some boots. They give him good boots, a good knife, a coat, and a canteen. And they're like, best of luck. And they send him out. And he gets, like, teary-eyed. Kurt Russell at this point has had maybe 20 lines, twenty words in total. Yeah. And he just looks around at everybody and gets this, like, misty-eyed look. And you're like, oh, my God. I, I'm so sad for this guy right now. Without him having to deliver a single line. No parting soliloquy. No, I understand nothing. Just like looks around, meets everybody's eyes, and then is like, fine, fine, and leaves. I guess this is where I live now. Right. And this is right. This is right after the like really heartbreaking scene where it's Christmas. Mm-hmm. And he's sitting there with a bowl of sandwiches, and he gets triggered. like cut sandwiches on one leg and something else on the other leg. Yeah, and he gets triggered. He gets like there's so much light and movement and sound and he can't handle it. 
and he stands up and he realizes he's about to do something he doesn't want to do. And he looks over at the family that he has fallen in love with the idea of, which yeah. is Mace and Sandra and Nathan, the child. And he ends up just leaving. Somebody walks in front of him. And by the time that person has walked past, he's gone. And then we see him watching everybody from the outside, which is metaphorical. He's on the outside it's literal looking in. And metaphorical. Literal and metaphorical. And then he ends up just sitting on the roof and sort of staring off, which it's really good that everybody throws away their old Christmas lights or these people would have nothing to decorate with. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, disposable consumerism. Yeah. Sandra's actually the one who points out that he fought at the Tannhauser Gate, too, which right. is another. There Blade were Runner. words on his arm. Yeah, which is another Blade Runner tie-in. Right. They had Tannhauser Gate. And Shoulder um, of Orion. And Shoulder of Orion. Yeah. Which Rooker Hauer mentions, mentions in Blade Runner. In Blade Runner. Yeah. See, in, you tied it back. In one of the most heartbreaking, soliloquies, apocalyptic noir soliloquies. Oof, we do love a good, like, soldier with a heart of gold. Right. Right. A gray villain. Oh, we right? do love a gray villain. But yeah. Although I would argue Todd's not. I mean, he's a gray. No, no. I'm, I'm saying Rooker Hauer in yes. Blade Runner. Oh, yes. Was a very gray villain. Right. We just. We're not Blade reviewing Runner. Blade Runner right now. No. I don't want to. No, no. Exhaust. No. I just that. wanted to. I, I wanted to tie in the tie-ins while the tie-ins were ready yes. to be tied. Yeah. And now there, we're ready to... There is an official link with Blade Runner, so... Yeah, here it's sanctioned. we go. So he leaves. Todd leaves. And Todd is just being sad Todd. He makes a campfire in a pipe. Sad Todd in a pipe, which is right where he came in. Like, that's where he landed. That's where he first found the rope, because that is behind him. Right. Yeah, when he... When the first wave of wind comes. and I, Because I remember thinking, why doesn't he just get in the little tunnel thingy? And he starts a he's fire. He's got nowhere else to go. And he's just sitting there, and we get our sad slow motion '90s teardrop where he's crying, <laughs> and he blinks, and it's slow motion for like a second as the tear moves down his eye. And this is when I thought I really want somebody to do a fan edit of this movie because we have all these weird slow motion scenes where it's slow motion for just a second or two seconds or three seconds, just these really short slow motion scenes and i want somebody to go through and speed those all up just to see what the movie looks like without that weird interruption right because you they didn't shoot it at a higher frame rate for those scenes that they slowed it down later so it's it feels a little choppy when it goes slow motion well i think it's supposed to i think you're it's supposed to make you stop in that moment and see it oh it's supposed to feel like frame by frame choppy. Yeah. I think you're supposed to be like, oof. it's supposed to make you like remember that scene. Gotcha. There's Nathan's also that like hard passed out. I know he's sound asleep, but there's also that Lorena McKinnett song that plays over the montage of him learning how to be a person again, which is the night ride across the Caucasus. Oh, yes. The yes. song. Yes. Everything Rachel's up till like, now. Who sings that song? <laughs> Everything up till now is very straightforward sci fi. But this reminded me of when we were watching Daredevil with the kids and Evanescence started playing over the Daredevil, the 
Ben Affleck Daredevil. Yes, I did ben not Affleck show Daredevil my children movie. Charlie Cox's Daredevil. Um, we were watching the Ben Affleck one, and they had the the, the funeral version. Yeah, they had the funeral, and Evanescence starts playing over the funeral, and I was just like, I had another moment where wind hit my face, and it was like, oh my god, core memory unlocked. Because I like this song, and I always am vaguely reminded of this song from something, and I, it must be from this movie because Dad fucking loved this movie. But I just want to point out the little Raina McKinnett song in the middle of our sci-fi shoot 'em up soldier with a heart of gold movie. Because at this point, he gets kicked out also. I mean, partly because of the choking the dude, but also because Nathan, there's a snake in the room. And instead of just killing the snake, he tosses Nathan a boot. And then he slams the boot on the bed and then like points at Nathan like okay now you do it and Nathan's like I don't Nathan's like five what? he's like I don't know what you're talking about so and he then does the, the snake strikes at Nathan so he just jumps and grabs the snake and then he throws the snake back like six feet away yeah and it's like okay we're gonna try this again yeah smack it with the boot and they smack come in and they're the like boot. what the shit you're in like our child was bit by one of these snakes as a baby, and that's why he can't talk. He was sick for a really long time. You're you're endangering the life of our child. Yeah, you've got what to the go. fuck? You've got to go. And so that's when they. That's awesome. You're it's a, a culmination to our of events. But, civilization. But that's the catalyst to get him out. And so yeah. then we cut back to Sandra and Mace. Sleeping on their like swing bed, <laughs> their like sex, <laughs> their sex swing bed. Oh, this is. Oh, it's. I think they just wanted to make it look like steampunk, cyberpunk, whatever. I get it. This looks like every time somebody moves, the whole thing swings and creaks, and you would just die, and your pillow falls off the back, yeah. just ah. constantly. <laughs> uh, but somehow a snake gets up there with them, and it's making its I, way. I up. like that they're always. When they're in bed together, they're always snuggling. They are always snuggling. There's not a lot of room on their plane wing. So oh, right, but but and we we've talked a bit about yeah. Is like, it just a Kate, plane wing, or Kate is, it- is always surprised at us that we like each other? <laughs> She's like, that's not real life. That's what she always says. I lost you're, my life. You're so. so unusual as a married couple because you actually like (laughs) Like each each other other. (laughs) (laughs) and so in movies when you're like like, look they're they're snuggling that's real life look how they're doing that and so like when the couple is in bed they're never like up against each other yeah they're always on each other's side of the bed right well not in this one in this movie they're always like topless and they're always snuggling, <laughs> You're right? Like that's the other right? part that's, that I like. That's yeah. the real life okay. part. That's right <laughs> of in, being in bed with your spouse. Okay. Is your, you're comfortable. You, yes. You're comfortable yes. and you're okay. snuggly yes. and it's cozy. But there's a snake. Happy. There's a snake. Not but that this, kind of snake. This cozy, the not happy, good kind snuggly of snake. moment gets yeah. interrupted by a snake. by a venomous snake, which Nathan kills with a boot. He and goes, they're like yoink. Yep. Smash. Almost as if someone taught him, him how to protect himself. Like, I can't always be here to protect and you, this but I can is teach where you how to protect yourself. Mace gets the 
wind in the face, <laughs> hair blowing in the wind moment. My God, I've had it wrong this whole time. Yeah. And so he runs off to go find him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Sandra's like, well, we voted. We voted wrong. I know. He's like, nope, sorry, hard pass. That was a that was the wrong decision. I'm going to bring him back. I'd rather ask for forgiveness than for permission. I'm going to go get him right now. So he runs to go find him, and he finds him, like, immediately. So he can't be that far. He he walked, like, 10 feet, climbed a pole, and just, like, <laughs> lit a fire. It was like, mm. like, Todd has some binoculars, and he's watching the town yeah. from his pipe. <laughs> Mace gets there, and then a... um. A soldier spaceship passes over. I mean, they... Oh, yeah. We have this, like, interlude back to... Yeah, we've been having interludes back. And Mackie, Mickey, Mickey, whatever. Yeah. Uh, like, oh, yeah, here's this biannual security sweep, and this is the region of the, our established, you know, solar systems, whatever, uh, we're going to sweep this uninhabited planet. Yeah, and it'll just, be fine. Just for field fine. training. Yeah, uh, Meekum. Meekum. Yeah, we're going to put down our soldiers. They're going to get a little bit of on-the-ground training where there's like not really any problems. We'll let them play in the sandbox for a little while, and they can hop back in, <laughs> and then we'll we'll go out to McDonald's, and then we'll head home, okay? It's going to be fine. And so uh, Everybody actually... Everybody gets a milkshake on the way home. I know. And they're like, well, what happens if there's people there? And he's like, there's not people there. And they're like, right. and but the what happened? The guy with actual decades of military experience is like... We plan for this regardless. Yeah. What if there's resistance? Right. And Colonel Meekum's like, well, then there'll be hostiles because they're not supposed to be there and we'll just kill them. We'll just straight up murder them all. And they're all like, oh, yeah, great plan. And then we cool. just. Cool. Thank. That's planning session done. We've. We've accounted for all the edge cases. Yeah, variables all taken care of. We need to consider nothing else. We're not going to encounter a highly fortified... Uh, um, this shows up in Mass Effect all the time. Um, I was wondering when you were going to bring Mass Effect into this. <laughs> I It just now dawned on me that Mass Effect would fit into this yeah absolutely really really well yes. um a limo like a um, illegal mining operation okay a heavily fortified illegal mining operation yes yeah. like in enemy mine like in enemy mine yeah no they don't they're just like nope it's fine right like this that is like there's money in the Ill heavily fortified illegal mining operation, <laughs> right? Heavily fortified illegal mining operation. A HFIM? <laughs> uh, let, let me throw it in a chat GPT. I bet I could get a better acronym. <laughs> but <laughs> chat GPT is better at that than I am, mm. but not better at coding. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway... Um, in this kind of universe, going to an uninhabited planet that has a breathable atmosphere and saying, hey, it's possible that 
somebody else is here scavenging, mining, whatever. And there's a lot of money in that. And there could be some well-trained like resistance. I mean, wouldn't that presence. be the point of sweeping unoccupied right. planets would be to find out if there's heavily because fortified mining you're operations? Sw- you're sweeping them yeah. because... There's the possibility that there's smugglers or Right, because it, yeah. especially the ones with a breathable atmosphere, right? that's an attractive location yeah. for any kind of illicit operation. Right. Otherwise, what's the point in going? Why waste the resources if you right. literally just bought, you fly around, scan shit, and then go home? It doesn't make any sense. Right. Um, but that's okay because, again, it's not that movie. It's it's not that movie. The only point well, uh, of this conversation. Okay, so this, the point of this conversation, from my, my understanding, you you go next. Okay. <laughs> so I, I don't mean. I, to, I can wait. I don't turn. mean to just keep jumping in and. Yeah, no, it's fine. You, but, Jump. Um, the purpose of this conversation in the plot is to demonstrate the naivete of Meekum. Yes. And the carelessness with, with which we treat li- marginalized lives, like the types of people that are living on these, yes. um, quote, uninhabited planets. Right. It, it expands on Meekum's character. Right. And it also expands on the societal view yes. uh, in this universe. The lack of regard for human life. Yes. Yeah, all human life. Any human life. Yes. So after they've established that, we kind of go back, and this is when the soldier ship shows up. And the first thing they do is straight up blow up Mace. I mean, they try to blow them both up, but they blow up Mace. And we get like a moment where we realize his legs have been blown off. And then Todd runs back and just grabs him by the back of the collar and starts dragging him. He absolutely could have thrown this man over his shoulder. And he's just like, I'm just going to drag you. And so he drags him to a marginally safe place, like a piece of debris. And Mace is like, what? what? Like, why did they do that? Was that a mistake? And Todd just shakes his head no. He's still not talking. Right. He's like, mm-mm. No vocalization. Mm-mm. He doesn't, he doesn't even go, mm-mm. No, he just... Looks just at, shakes his head. He looks at him intently for a minute, like, do I lie to this man? And then he just goes... His head vibrates yeah. quickly side to side. I can't even, because I have to say something out loud, because this is an audio podcast, but he just shakes his head. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, no. Like, are they going to go and attack the settlement? What about my son? Uh, Todd does try to save him. He tries to tie a tourniquet, but Mace is like, that's not going to work, man. I've I've lost lost too much much blood already. Uh, I'm I'm gone. I'm gone. And that's why we're going to need a holograph of me when we go back to um, Libria. Libria. From Equilibrium. Well, first I thought Prosium, and I thought, no, that's the medication they take. And then I thought, Prosia, which was supposed to be the name of the country, which they didn't use. And then I circled back to Libria. Libria. Uh, so sorry about that. But Mace dies, which you would think would be like, a, ooh, now the way is clear for him to get with Sandra. Which I appreciate they didn't go. They didn't. That, that's that. the cheap angle. Yeah. Yeah. And he ends up running back um, in time to see them like shelling the village. And he ends up repelling the attack he gets a gun 
and fires at the tanks. These itty bitty little tanks. They look like the wind up tanks. Like, yeah. like when the kids were little and you get like a squishy car with giant plastic wheels. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what it looks like. Um, but he ends up and they're like, oh, my God, they have, they're, they're weaponized. We have to retreat. And then they're like, OK, so we're going to we're going to go back and we're going to throw everything we've got at it. Oh, and yeah. And Church is like, hold on. They sent three men in to clear out. Yeah. Like, it's obvious these men have no train no military experience right because todd just kills them all right like no problem he kills all three people and they're like oh my god we're clearly up against a superior military force they must be like fortified they must have their own infantry there there's absolutely no way these three men could have been defeated and there's other dozens way. of them there must be dozens of them and so this is the one time where Meekum listens to church because church is like no we need to heavily arm the men retreat to a safe distance, and then just blow them all up. Wading in there is absolutely not the way to go. That's right. not, that's just throwing men into the, into the shredder for no reason. And he's like, uh, okay. Okay. I'll, but, I'll meet you halfway. Right. But this small delay gives Todd just enough time to, lay out his defenses, which in no way includes evacuating the village. Because with that, I mean, in Todd's defense, that's not him. That's logistics. He's focused on killing all these people. He's counteroffensive. Yeah. That's his job. That's his specialty. That's his expertise. Right. Right. And that's that's all he's focused on. Right. Sandra even asks him, like, what's your plan? And he's like, um, I'm gonna kill them all until they're dead. That's my plan. <laughs> and then he pulls out his black black face makeup and does the like angle paint thing, which is yeah. the most Rambo thing he does, where he he like paints his face, break up the lines of the face. So yeah, it's hard to recognize. Yeah. Right, which we get a really cool shot with when he's standing in the water and they walk past and he's pressed up against the wall. Yeah, and the light passes over him, but they don't see him because he's got his his camouflage on. Mm-hmm. but at this point from in the movie onward um it's pretty much just straight up action it's just straight action movie it is todd killing everybody in dramatic and improbable ways (laughs) until we get to the part where he finally has a showdown with kane because of course he has a showdown with kane where they have to this is where it all began yeah and so they fist fight it out and we get to a point where he's got Kane in the water. He's got his arms around his neck, and he ends up breaking Kane's neck to kill him. The pivotal moment in the fight is um, Todd is backed up against a helicopter. Yeah. And Kane is about to strike with the killing blow. Todd looks down at like a curved piece of metal, like a sickle on the ground next to Kane and Kane notices because Todd wants him to notice. Mm -hmm. And so Todd is like, I'm going to go get it. That's my weapon. I'm going to kill you with it. But Kane goes for it. And when Kane goes for it, Todd is like, aha. (laughs) (laughs) And he pulls the helicopter blade down and, slices Kane across the belly. Yeah. And then, and that's 
that's the more accurate representation of what hand-to-hand combat is like in a military conflict where it's not just this sterile environment with chains that you climb up. Right. There's the entire environment to make use of and whoever can most resourcefully make use of the environment is the superior warrior in that in, in that situation. Right, which is why Kane is able to take out three of them on a chain, but Todd is able to kill 17 of them um, with wind and in a real couple combat. of guns. Yeah. yeah, in real combat. And save at least Sandra and a- the kids. At least a third of the colony. Sandra and the kids, the ones he cared about, I guess. The, Sandra... <laughs> Sandra took all the kids and actually went like underground. Yeah. Nobody else hid it's fine. themselves underground. It's fine. Maybe he was mad at them for voting him off the island. I don't know. That That's a very good point. Yeah. The only ones who survived were the ones who didn't vote against him. Yeah. I don't think he did that on purpose, but I think that's what happens. Yeah, and so this whole... Uh, Poetic justice. The whole purpose of this scene is just to show you, like, it doesn't matter how strong you are. It doesn't matter how fast you are. It doesn't matter how genetically superior superior you are. If you don't know what the fuck you're doing, you're not going to win. Right. In the real world, experience trumps talent every time. Right. Like, I love the part where Todd gets in the vehicle and... Kane is already at the settlement and he's already bombing it. And so Todd is driving up with the vehicle and Kane's like one to two because he's talking to number two, the second vehicle. He's like, fall in line beside me and commence yeah, shelling. Move to move to nine o'clock and commence attacking. Yeah. And affirmative Todd goes, number one. Todd goes affirmative and he just keeps driving straight at him and he's like, change your course number two you need to be at my nine o'clock commence shelling and he's like yep that's what i'm doing and he just keeps driving straight at him and any other experienced soldier would have immediately been suspicious but because they're not experienced soldiers he's able to ram him sideways before he really he's like you're on a collision course and todd's like affirmative affirmative. (laughs) (laughs) one Out of all of his lines. (laughs) Yeah. That's the funniest. That's probably the, the, his only joke. Yeah. We're supposed to know that he's intelligent. That's what the classroom scene at the very beginning is. And he is a purpose built machine. Uh, A a selected. Yeah. Yeah. A highly screened and selected machine. Yeah, whose entire purpose is fighting in wars. And he's been doing that for his entire life. Yeah. And it doesn't matter that in the test tube, these guys looked better. They can't beat that. Okay, it's like in work situations, I've worked with younger people who are extremely intelligent higher IQ than me have worked at like really prestigious companies whatever and then you say okay let's go solve this 
really practical problem. I've been breaking computers for 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> you can't outfail me, bitch. <laughs> right? right? Uh, uh, anytime someone asks me, like, okay, how do I get started with that? I was like, well, you just keep breaking things. And after you do that, like a few hundred times, you start to get a sense of, oh, here's how I do something that doesn't break it. Uh-huh. Okay. Yes. And over the I years, I know how you, to not fix it. Yes. I, I know how to do a thing in a way that doesn't break the system. Yeah. And over years, you accumulate this set of, you know, knowledge, experiential yeah. knowledge that you get somebody that only has a few years of experience and it's like, oh, mm, okay, let me explain this to you. You don't do it that way. Yeah. Because that has a chance of breaking things. Trust me, I've done it. Because I've done that. Yeah. Multiple times. It's like, yeah, it's yeah. like when I used to teach pottery. And I would tell people that it doesn't matter how strong you are. It doesn't matter how good you are at anything else. As soon as you sit down in front of this pottery wheel, we are all equal and you're all going to suck at it. <laughs> and you're going to suck for a long time and then you're going to get better. And you just have to accept that that's how it's going to be. And practice is the only way you're going to get better at this. But you could be a bodybuilder or you could be a desk jockey. It literally doesn't matter. We're all going to start in the same place. And it's exactly the same. Yes, the newer soldiers are physically superior, but clearly Todd's superior experience is what wins the day right. because he is able to trick them or he's able to trick them over all and over and over deception. again. All warfare is deception. And Sun Todd Sue. fucking knows it. Yeah. He even does the very improbable thing where he's in the water and he gets up and like sneak attacks somebody with a machine gun. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that was my line. <laughs> and, then, and then they're like, more machine gunning is happening. And he has somehow transitioned immediately over to this area where he has a dead soldier tied up, rigged so he can fire his machine guns from a distance. To lure them in. Yeah. And to so a they, bomb. Right. They get all close because they think they've got this guy. They've got the sniper, which they keep calling him a sniper, even though he's shooting people with like bazookas and shit. <laughs> and then he. That's how good he is. That's how he snipes people with a rocket. <laughs> RPG sniper. Like, if you blow somebody up from a distance, is that sniping? I don't know. Does it have to be a sniper? Well, he blows these people up. Anyway. He, he gets this all. It, it it happens. And so they're like, oh, my God, we can't. The, all of our soldiers are dead. There's dozens of them. There's that. We can't stand against this. They could be right outside the door right now. And so they they decide they're going to blow up the planet. They have. He's like, do you have one of these missiles? Meekum asks a church. planet killer. He's like a planet killer. Yeah, we've got 15. <laughs> like, I'm happy to just drop one here and then we could go blow up 15 more planets, whatever. And so they task Todd's old unit who have been demoted to logistics, putting up the communication satellite, they don't whatever. Even, only soldiers get weapons. Right. And they're like, you don't even have to stay, say, sir, anymore. And poor Riley looks so sad. But they task them with going out and arming this missile. 
And so, of course, Todd just walks up. They stare at each other for like 15 minutes. Which they is, salute each other. Which is an entire conversation, which is like, man, don't blow that missile up. I got people here that I love. And Riley's like, man, shit's been terrible since you left. And Todd's like, I, I don't know. even want to be doing this. He's like, Todd's like, I know, but I'm back. And I think we can stand against them together. And Riley's like, man, I've been fucking here for sir, this. Sir, yes, sir. For years. And then they salute each other. That whole conversation happens. And they're literally just looking at each other. And then they <laughs> <laughs> salute each other and then the next moment um is when how does he get in the door opens he comes in with riley's crew returning from the bomb yeah and no something's happening and meekum is trying to leave or he's walking down the hallway and the elevator door opens up and todd is right there well he ends up shooting church because church is like you can't, you can't do this. Oh, oh they're gonna oh, they're, leave Riley's men. Yes, they're gonna leave. They're gonna Riley's leave Riley's men. men. And church is like, you can't do that. We gotta wait till they're done. And yeah, he's they got like, six minutes. Yeah, he's like, no, no, we're gonna go right now. And Meekum ends up shooting church as like a, ha ha, I'm so badass, no one can stand against me. I- I'm gonna even shoot church. Right. The one thing keeping him alive. Right. And then when it finally comes to the showdown between him and Todd, he wets his pants. Yeah. Yeah. And Todd ends up kicking him and the woman and the man out. I forgot their names. They don't matter. They're just, they're there for plucky situational awareness, I guess. And he kicks them out on the planet with this missile, which has been armed and they have 25 minutes and it's counting down. And they're like, why are you doing this? Let us on. We'll, we'll help you. What's going on? And Todd, that's when Todd gets his last line, which is, you are obsolete. And then the door shuts and they fly off. Him and Riley, Todd and Riley and the survivors all fly off in the ship as the planet explodes and they set course for the Trinity Moons, which is where Sandra was headed in the first place. Yep. And then he picks the kid up because Nathan walks in and he holds his arms up. Right. So the uh, this whole time Nathan's walking in, I was like, oh, I, I don't remember the last time I watched this movie to the end. I was like, oh, so I'm guessing what's going to happen. Okay. Nathan's going to walk in and he's going to salute Todd. I know he's going to do it. Right. They're, they're conveying this whole vibe that Nathan is like identifying with Todd and Nathan wants to be Todd or whatever. But it's like the opposite. Todd is identifying with Nathan. Yes. And like rediscovering his inner child as a way to become more human. Even the part where Nathan very symbolically unlocks the heart. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, So Nathan walks in and, instead of saluting, holds his arms up. And Todd's like, I'm here for this. So he picks him up in the most awkward way that anyone's ever picked up a child. (laughs) (laughs) Just wrapping his arm around the kid's lower back and standing up. And then we see him looking out the window. Yep. And that's it. I guess they were planning to have a sequel, but this bombed. Bombed in the theater. 
it blew up better than Todd blows up everything in the total end of this movie. Still a better love story than Twilight. Yeah. You know what is another bomb that I absolutely love? And it kind of reminds me of this. Waterworld. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love me a good 90s. Post-apocalyptic. Taciturn. <laughs> Low on lines. Yeah, Can't, there's a lot of parallels. With, doesn't fit with in with other here. humans characters yeah we haven't done Waterworld. no we haven't because every time i do you're like mm, yeah <laughs> let's do Waterworld. <laughs> is it gonna be sci-fi fantasy or horror which one could do fantasy all three could be our next one because it is a fantasy yeah oh no somebody who listens all the way to the end of this episode is gonna get a uh, teaser tuesday preview that's an Instagram reference, which we have an Instagram. Okay. My last note about the movie is... No, I'm happy for this. This group is going to get to Trinity Moons. Yeah. And we're going to have this whole cohort of kids that have like the most badass... Paramilitary like, training? Six or seven uncles. <laughs> <laughs> that raise them <laughs> and everyone's going to be like, Oh, what's up with these like six old guys hanging out? Yeah. It's going to be Sandra living with a bunch of really buff, really quiet dudes that just stare at you every time you come over to visit. And everyone's going to be like, are they all like together? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, they have zero interest. Like, yeah. It's, it's not feasible for them yeah no no uh oh no 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 no. the kids grow up and start dating oof and then and then the girls bring a boyfriend back and then instead of just one like grumpy old guy staring them down it's like these seven like six and a half foot 250 (laughs) pound bodybuilders walk in like what are your intentions? No, no, with no. Crystal. Todd just. Oh no, th- no words. No, right? no, no just words. Staring. No, no. Todd just stares at Crystal because we're on Nathan's side, right? So if Crystal, if Crystal is our chosen name for the woman that Nathan is dating, um, Todd just stares at Crystal and then pulls out his face paint and does like <laughs> <laughs> and the, across the And then face. we cut to prom night. <laughs> And inside of the dance room, tucked against the wall, is Todd, Todd with yes. the face paint. Yeah, a disco ball, a <laughs> disco the, ball light disco flashes ball by. Light flashing over. Yeah, <laughs> you just see Todd. <laughs> That's the sequel with, to this movie. With six other dudes lined up beside yes. him. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And Riley opens a bakery. And if you come and if you try every time you try to return something, he just stands there and stares at you. So nobody, <laughs> everybody goes there because they want him to. They like him being busy doing bakery he's, stuff. Because he's he's the most approachable. Yeah, because he's a really good baker, so everybody goes. But you can't talk to him about anything because he just stares at you. <laughs> so you just have to get what you get. <laughs> you can't even order. You just walk in and he hands you a bag. Of whatever whatever it's like, it feels uh, like. Have you ever seen Soup Nazi from No, I've never watched Seinfeld. Okay. I know of Soup Nazi. Doesn't he just bring you soup? (laughs) He gives you your soup. 
Yeah. You don't That's order it. it. Yeah. And if you contest it, no more soup. Yeah, it's like soup Nazi, except without words. Yeah. Yeah. And the other rest, one of them's a crossing guard. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> and he just stares down the cars. Yeah. The, literally just leaves it open the entire time kids should be crossing. And nobody says anything because nobody wants to cross this guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is good. This would have been a really good sequel. There's these <laughs> people trying to integrate back into real life. But in a funny way, not in a, oh, no, PTSD makes it hard to be around people way. I think this is our favorite kind of movie, which is it can have as much meaning as you want. Yeah. If you want it to just be Rambo, it's fine. If you want to read more into it, you can. You can kind of pick and choose what parts of this movie you want to focus on. And it's a different movie depending on what you focus on. Which is what we specialize in. The so ambiguously done that you can it can be as good as you want it to well, be. Okay, here's here's one interpretation. And In um, like philosophical analysis, whatever, there's a difference between an icon and a symbol. Mm -hmm. An icon is a like one-to-one representation of something. Like the power icon yeah. means you push power this, on, it turns off. it on and off. Gotcha. But a symbol is a way at looking at something and you can kind of dive into the symbolism as deep as you want. Yeah. And if it's portrayed like genuinely as you know, a symbolic behavior, symbolic relationship, representation, whatever, there's a depth of interpretation, uh, potential meaning in there. And so this movie is heavy in symbolism. Yes. But it's still entertaining if you don't dive into that symbolism. Correct. But the symbolism is there to dive into if you want to. Correct. Yes. But symbolism, you can't really force it. No. No, this is, yeah, you have to watch It has watch to this kind movie. of emerge organically. Yeah. Over and over, you have to think about it. You have to go back and watch it again. It's not hard to rewatch. I don't know why it had such a low score on, you know what? Because people have standards. I made air quotes. Ugh, standards. Right? I think there's this movie file thing that we get because we have cinephile. so much. Cinephile. Cinephile. I'm not going to get movie file where we get into <laughs> like, we've watched so many movies. We can rewatch movies so easily. We have access to so much media we really start to feel like experts because we've got 10,000 hours worth of media viewing in. And so people have developed these, this framework. There's somebody I follow on Instagram and they have a very granular, it's like a 10 part rating system that they do like writing, acting and a bunch of other stuff too. And they always end up, they go into this very deep, deep, way of really rating in a very granular but fashion probably very rigid and but to me okay so i saw a good thing um earlier today about um philosophers in antiquity and how today we think of our emotions 
and our actions as two separate things or our beliefs, whatever facts as two different things. And you have your feelings, everything in this heart shaped space, you have your feelings, your emotions, your woo woo attitude towards everything. And then you have your logic and your reason and your fundamental belief in facts and things over on the other side. But previously, we thought these two things were together in one space. Yeah, that's so, a big part of ancient Greek philosophy. Right. Is, so it was all together. The logic and reason is the pit in the center of the peach. It is the thing in the middle of the emotion. So the way we view movies is our immediate emotional reaction. I loved that. All right, let's back that up and unpack it. Why did we love it? Instead of I don't know. I don't know how I feel about the writing. We don't look at it from a logic and reason way. We very much have our feelings about it. And then we drill down to the logic and reason right, of and why. We, we have a conversation about it. Right. And so I am chiefly in, I'm chiefly interested in being entertained. And so as long as I'm entertained, it's a good movie. And the rest is just fluff. Was this the best written movie in the entire world? No, they didn't even, they didn't give fucking Kurt Russell any dialogue. Not, they were, his dialogue was literally just like stares sadly, stares intently. Right, his screenplay instructions. Stares angrily. And that's it. But it's, it's good. It's fine. We have two characters that don't need to exist. I don't care. They're fine. Was Gary Busey the best choice for that? No. 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 <laughs> Uh, uh, no, even um, the character that played the actor that played Meekum, I'm not sure he's the best choice. But I don't care. I was entertained. It was fine. I thought Kurt Russell did a great job. Everybody does a great job. I'm here for this. And all the rest is just fluff. All the plot the, holes and the so the um, the separation of like the scientific analysis and measurements and everything as separate from the subjective emotional experience is kind of like a big topic right now and like the meaning crisis mm. because it's it's removed the subjective experience from everything that like western culture considers valuable yes. and important but what's what's the value of a movie if it's subjectively enjoyable but you don't let yourself enjoy it because from this objective set of metrics that you've compiled it doesn't score high right it's an enjoyable movie. It's it, an entertaining movie. It could be the best written movie in the world with the best acting and the best screen direction and the best CG and the best everything. And if it's not entertaining, it's not entertaining. If I don't feel engaged, I'm not engaged. Everything, everywhere, all at once swept every single awards category that it is possible to sweep. But it was a mediocre, enjoyable movie. But we did not enjoy it doesn't mean it's a bad movie but we didn't like it if you had asked me 
separate from any other scale. If you had put me in a vacuum and told me to rate that, I would have given it a very low rating. But that's because I didn't enjoy it, and that's fine. Lots of people, I'm sure, didn't enjoy Soldier, obviously, because it has like a 15% rating. (laughs) But when we get into the trap of, if I tell people I like this movie, they're going to think I'm stupid. That's when it becomes a problem. The, yeah, but the writing is terrible. The acting wasn't great, blah, blah, blah. Well, I don't care. I like the movie or I don't like the movie. Let's just start with that. And I get to like things I like and you get to like things you like. That's right. And it's like reading a book and it's like, okay, the writing is not good, but I really like the concept of this character. Yeah. I'm reading it because I want to see where this character goes. Right. Right. Regardless of how how well the author structures the sentences. Right. The author hit something here. It cheapens the individual nature of experience. Yeah. When you create these metrics and you tell people there's a 1 to 10 scale and you have to give it a 1 to 10 rating. Well, no you don't. <laughs> if you look at if if anybody saw my Goodreads <laughs> They're all good books, bro. <laughs> Every book that I finish <laughs> gets five stars. There, there's a couple that I didn't quite like. They still got four stars. Yeah. I don't. I don't know that I have actually rated any books less than four stars. There might be one three star book. <laughs> on my Goodreads out of like 400 some books. Just that it's okay to be who you are and love what you love. That's the whole point of this podcast. I enjoyed the process of reading all these books. Yeah. And that's fine. We, I was talking to somebody about Ironoia the other day. We have this idea that we need to chase everything we do with a joke, with an irony because. Right. You have to give yourself. And escape route. Right. Because if anybody actually knew what you cared about, they would use it to hurt you. Yes. That's what ironoia is. That's is what the ironoia fear of is. And people I using it I think you. this is an outgrowth of comment culture. And I kind of performed an experiment for myself, which I've been updating the YouTube channel. And I left comments open on the last six or seven. And I immediately got just the most random, stupid comments. And I was like, you know what? This is why I leave comments closed. Because I don't care. I don't. Um, it, it, it isn't useful feedback. Right. If it isn't a meaningful, constructive attempt to improve both of our experiences, I'm not interested. What are you looking up? I was going to look up the uh, videos. So I think we get into this where we we create these categories and this rating system because it separates personal opinion from the rating. And that way, if someone disagrees with you, they aren't disagreeing with you. They're disagreeing with your assessment of it. And so it's another form of ironoia. Mm-hmm. I'm creating five-star reviews because that way... No one's going to come at me about my personal statements about this. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
So we here at the Strange and Beautiful Book Club think you should love what you love, whether that's ridiculous 1990s vampire cop television shows, soldier with a heart of gold on a trash planet, whatever. We love what you love. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So while Matt's looking that up, I'll tell you guys about the Instagram. We have an Instagram. It's up over 190 followers now. I don't know how that happened. It just sort of happened. Um, But I'm happy to have you all. That is at The Strange and Beautiful Book Club. You can find us on Instagram at The Strange and Beautiful Book Club. We have a Patreon as well. I encourage everybody to go over there and check it out. We're getting ready to do a whole bunch of new stuff. Lots of big surprises coming. That's a good place to keep up to date with everything. Plus, we're going to be doing some Patreon exclusive content. So that'd be a good way to go over and get that. Our lowest tier is just a dollar. So you can have access to the exclusive content for the high, high price of a dollar a month. We also have a website, which is still broken, but not for long because I'm working on it. And we have a YouTube channel where I have been uploading everything. My goal is to get caught up with all the old episodes so that the new episodes will be going up as we write them and record them. We don't write shit. Does it sound like (laughs) we don't sound scripted, do we? Um, We're not. As we record them. So remember. Oh, did you find the thing you were looking for? Uh, I didn't find any comments on any videos. Oh, I'll show you. Okay. So remember, sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful too. So be who you are and love what you love. Until next time, friends. Bye. Bye.